Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. COVID-19 has really been an interesting experience, one I hope I never have to repeat. But the one thing I learned about myself is I function better when I have massages. Honestly, you know, as simple as all that. The thing is that I'm an introvert, so I usually spend a lot of time indoors anyway, except when I'm traveling. And I spend a lot of time with my mom. And for this lockdown, I was with my mom since March. So two months with my mother before I had to come back to Joburg. But I find that I'm able to handle a lot of stress but I handle it better only because I have many outlets. So things like massages, reflexology, facials, I realized those for me are not luxuries, they're essentials because I had all the support. I mean, I'm the only child now remaining in my family. So it's just mom and I. And I was so honored that people called and say, where are you? Are you with your mother? How are you feeling? And it was a blessing. Even friends from high school. So that part didn't affect me at all. I didn't feel isolated and my friends globally, we are on WhatsApp, so we talk all the time. But I found that because I do a lot and I take on a lot, I really need things to just help me de-stress. So I really did miss my massages. And I know some people are feeling very guilty because we were talking about, oh, middle-class problems when other people are starving. And that doesn't take it away. You know, you still need to contribute. You know, the lady who couldn't, I have two homes, so the two ladies who couldn't, uh, you know, come and work, you still put in money, the gardener. So those things are very important. But just when I think about myself, I realize those things are not luxuries for me. They're very important. I'm a loner. So I grew up with a grandmother <laughs> who passed away when I was young but I'm only laughing only because I had to ask my mom mom why am I so comfortable with my own company she used to say your grandmother mom Louie didn't really like you uh, playing with other kids so you kind of had to play on your own and abuse yourself so as a child I used to play on my own seemingly but also I used to read um, and I actually thought my mom was a teacher I mean later on she did lecture and stuff like that, but she was a nurse. And I used to say, but why did I think you're a teacher? She literally had a blackboard. And that was uh, before I was four, because I went to school at four, and she used to teach us. <laughs> so this is how my pastimes were. So I used to read and uh, just amuse myself. And one of my favorite books I have from my mother, I don't recall, was Jack of the Bookshelf. I don't remember it. But she says I used to just like regurgitate it and she used to get shocked. Um, so my pastime was really amusing myself, thinking, reading, observing. And I find that it's still a pastime I enjoy now. When I go to a restaurant or anywhere, I like being in the corner and I like observing because human nature is fascinating and things that you can observe about people, which is also something I've been reflecting about. Um, this idea of always wanting to disappear into the background. I don't know what that says, but anyway, 
uh, you know, I created this series called Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Sumi because it was something that kept on recurring. People kept on saying, you are wise. And I didn't quite understand what that meant. And, and then I thought, okay, I want to go on a journey and see if what I think is wise is what everybody else thinks is wise. So I then said, I'm gonna approach people that I think are wise and then see from having conversations with them whether there is a trend, is there some similarity? But the other thing also that I wanted to do was, I love quotes, I've loved quotes since I was a child. And I find that a lot of my quotes are from Western countries, Western thinkers. And I really wanted us as Africans to really appreciate our own wisdom. And the fact that around us, we have such knowledge that we can draw from, that we don't always have to be looking at other continents. So I'm hoping that as people follow us through the series, they're starting to see a trend and that they're really appreciating that we have amazing human beings and amazing leaders. And the significance of this is that it's not about position. It's not about having a leadership position. It is about being wise. And I'm hoping that you will all help me find a definition by the end of this of what a, what a wise person is, because I'm still trying to figure it out. Wisdom to me means uh, being discerning in terms of your judgment. It's the way you use your mind. I know people think sometimes that you get wise with age, but that has not been my experience. I mean, when I reflect on my own life, in my family of four, we two now remaining, but in our family of four, I was the youngest. And I was the one that was the mediator, the one that used to be called to come and bring forth some wisdom to situations. So my perspective of wisdom is not about experience necessarily. I think some of us have intuitive wisdom. It's like you intuitively know something. But it's the way you judge things and the way, and judging not in a negative sense, in a negative sense. It's the way you bring to bear whatever is those tools in our brains that make us think the way we do. And you bring them to situations. And most times I think you make them better. You kind of cut through the chaos, you cut through the crap, and then you just like straight to the heart of the matter. So wisdom for me is about being discerning, it's about good judgment. I think my unique value proposition is my laughter. For some reason, <laughs> I think, you know, people will always say, you know, that laugh, I can hear it from anywhere. And my laughter is an indication of how I'm feeling. So if I don't hear myself laughing, I know that I'm not in a good space spiritually. And the laughter for me is a metaphor for everything. It's about the positivity, being constructive, um, being building, being nurturing. So through laughter, that's how I impact the world. When I started Musara Leadership Partners in 2009, um, and we are a strategic advisory firm. People must have thought we were crazy because we were in the middle of a recession. 
and the market can be seen as fairly cluttered in terms of consulting firms. But in my view, there were a number of things that were happening. First of all, I didn't mind starting during a recession because I think sometimes cash makes us very confused about what the unique value proposition is. When you get so much business, you don't really get to refine what your offering is. And because the pickings were so few and we were having so few clients, uh, at that time we were able to refine what we're doing. And what we are doing in Busara Leadership Partners 11 years on is nothing that we thought we were gonna be doing in 2009. Um, because that's what happens in a business. You interact with clients, you tell them this is what you are there to bring to them and they'll say, no, that's not what I need. And then you look at your competencies, you look at your expertise, you look at your skill set, and you say, okay, how can I refine my brand, my product offering in order to meet the needs as they are? Really don't ever be scared to start a business during a recession because it has so many gifts that you may not see. And one of them is that you get to look at your processes and systems. We were burnt a lot. We, we didn't have proper contracts. We allowed uh, people to give us verbal approvals and, uh, and then they changed their minds after we had wasted like months working on something, no payment. So there are a whole lot of things that uh, can derail your business. So starting during a recession just makes you just like so fine-tuned in terms of the offering that you give. And now we are strategic advisory firm and then we focus on um, you know, developing leaders and facilitating their effectiveness so that they can achieve their desired goals. And that's not what we thought we were going to be doing in 2009. People always ask me, Dudu, why do you always mention the idea of compassion or the concept or the word compassion when you're talking about leaders? I mean, business is a cutthroat, you know, even politics is cutthroat. Where does compassion? And honestly, I believe that the one way of getting anything done in this world is understanding human beings. Part of understanding human being is being compassionate. When you're able to feel and put yourselves, and can you see that it is beyond empathy? It's not about empathy. Being compassionate comes with, can you see it's got a bit of calm and the passion. So it's about this passion for another human being. It is a very difficult emotion to feel in the business world because it can undermine your leadership because people can think, oh, you're softy. Being compassionate does not mean you are not assertive, that you are not very forthright in terms of what you want. Being compassionate is understanding that I'm a human being because you're a human being. But part of the challenges we have, which is why we also still have racism in our world, is if you don't see me as a human being, there is no way you will accord me the dignity and the respect. So first of all, you have to see me as another human being just like you are. And then whatever challenges the, the person is going through, you will in some way try and put yourself in that space and you will approach them differently because you would have empathized with their situation because you know how it is to be in that situation. So for me, compassion is such an important value to have as a leader.
As a corporate governance specialist, um, I get asked very often, Dudu, how are you interacting with this information that's coming out of the Zondo Commission and all the corporate scandals that we're having? The question is, the leaders that have found themselves in that situation, what did they do to find themselves in that situation? And the first thing for me, it is about personal integrity. You know, as leaders, especially boards, we are custodians of an organization. We are looking after the well-being of an organization. And the idea is to make it sustainable, whether it's a profitable or a non-profit organization. The minute your own selfish agendas override the good of an organization, you know that your personal integrity is compromised. So that is the starting point. A lot of us sometimes embrace and are very happy to say yes to board positions, but I don't think we really appreciate the responsibility. And it's beyond just studying your King 4 and your Companies Act. It is calling upon you to truly understand that you are a custodian. You're looking after the well-being of an entity. And whether it's shareholders or other stakeholders, you need to balance all those demands. What it is that they're demanding from me, is this good for this organization? And part of what we are seeing is that people have been uh, seduced by power. You know, so if a shareholder wants you to do something, you um, disrespect your own personal integrity and you do something that is not. So it's not complicated. It is not complicated. We all have to decide, especially when you take on a role as a board member, what it is that I want to do. What legacy do I want to leave? Obviously, having good financials, whether it's a profit or non-profit, it's a given. But the legacy we all want to leave is companies and organizations that are going to be able to survive into the future and that have a positive, positive reputation. And a lot of us, we have come to honor money at all costs. And unfortunately, the way it's happening, it's also our country at all costs because we are selling down our country. So it's very difficult to be a corporate governance specialist where you wish you could impact more environments, but you also find that people are not really into training. They're not really into developing. As much as our King 4 encourages that we should be uh, developing ourselves at least annually, mm, yeah, I got the position, so what? This is why we have the corporate scandals that we have. For us to come out of uh, the corporate governance scandals that we're in, we really need to treasure people being put into positions for the right reason. It really should not matter too much your affiliation politically. It only matters in the context of you need to subscribe to our constitution, you need to subscribe to our values, and you need to subscribe to the new South Africa and the fact that we are supposed to create a non-racial, non-sexist society. Everything else should really be around the skills and expertise. Until we are really appointing people for those reasons, 
And the important thing really also about boards is you need to have diversity of skills. You need to have diversity of temperaments. You need to have diversity of many things so that you can call each other out and, and hold each other accountable. If you are all buddies, it's very difficult. What's most important for me in this life is to live as much as possible in alignment with my values. It's not always easy because what one wants to achieve and do in life sometimes gets you, you know, <laughs> challenging your own values. But it's something that I work very hard for. So one thing that is important to me is my mother. My family has always been important. My vision is to make sure that I live a life where I don't have regrets. So my mother comes first, my business comes second. And the alignment for me, it's a check that I do every day. Every time I need to make a decision, do something, is this taking me towards the vision that I want for my life? And a lot of what I want to do in life, as much as monetary benefits are good, it goes beyond that. It's how I want to feel when I take that last breath. And it's something that I guard jealously. I don't want to have any regrets. When I need to make that last exhale, I need to be able to say I've done the best I can. And in the process, I may hurt people, which I try very hard not to. I may not always do something that somebody thinks is um, kind, but I strive to do that. Um, but what's important to me is that to have a clear conscience in life. And it's a struggle every day. I think the most courageous thing I've ever done and continue to do is to be Dudum Zomi. That I have treasured with every breath in my body, that I will not get value from the organizations that I work in, that I will not get value from the people I seem to hang around with or powerful positions. The most courageous thing is to make sure that what Dudum Somi stands for is something that's honorable in, my, in the context of my family, especially, that my mom feels proud that it's somebody I also want to go to bed with. Uh, it's, it's, and it's tough because in this world, financial success is prized so much. And there are many times where you have to work away from opportunities because ultimately you're compromising Dudum Somi. So it is the most courageous decision I have to make every day, does this honor Dudum Somi? And I must say, I love this name. I actually got this name at three. I was not named this name, <laughs> Dudu. When I was born, my grandmother, Evelyn Lindham Somi, who was Mam Loi, when her husband died, she renamed me Dudu because she said I brought such comfort. And I really treasure and I take it to heart the fact that I did that for her even as a child. And so it's a, a, a name that I enjoy. I used, to I used to joke as a child that I must make sure that I am a doctor <laughs> before 
I am married so that I can always keep doodums on me. Now you can keep your name, you don't have to. And I'm still single. <laughs> my vision is to live my life with passion, integrity, and in ecstasy so that every day can be the last with no fear, no regret. And that I wrote um, when I was still pretty young uh, professional. And I've always been conscious, don't ever do anything that you will regret. Live consciously. People now talk about being mindful. I still call it living consciously. Every time before I do something, I am aware of the consequences, that I'm not gonna be able to control the consequences, but when I make that decision that there will be consequences and I must be able to live with it. I mean, I was brought up in a home where as much as possible, if you disagreed, you made peace there and there. You didn't leave the room, sleep before you made peace because you didn't know what's gonna happen. And I always share the story of my sister. A few days before she died, uh, we had been having a conversation over the phone and she says to me, oh, I, I put down the phone and then she calls me back and then she says, are we fighting? So I said, no, we're not fighting. We just don't agree. I respect your view. I'm sure you respect mine. I still love you. And she says, because I don't want you to think of this conversation when I'm gone. And she was not sick. So can you imagine somebody saying that to you? But I didn't panic. Because for us, that was always normal. That's what we did. And two days later, she died in my arms. Um, and I wasn't regretting anything as much as it was the most painful experience. We live the way we were taught. And now I do worry because my mom is elderly. Um, so sometimes she forgets things and then she thinks I haven't told her and then we have disagreement. So I do worry sometimes that when we end a conversation, it may feel like it's incomplete. But even in that moment, I always say, my heart is in the right place. She knows I love her. Whatever happens, whether to me or her, I will have no regrets. So I don't live much with regrets. I don't have any in that. The one thing I still would like to accomplish, which I have been asked over and over, is to write a book. <laughs> so I have contributed a chapter or two here and there. I'm actually contributing one now that I'm writing in my, on my bucket list. I think it will be great for me to be able to consolidate some of my thoughts and maybe a book or two. Um, one around personal leadership. I, and I purposefully call it personal leadership and not self-leadership. And hopefully when you read that book that I will one day write, you'll understand why I talk about personal leadership and not uh, self-leadership. And the other one, hopefully my life story of some sort, which will also talk a bit about my family and my background. And I'm very proud of my family and my background. Um, so, and when I get asked, why aren't you doing it? I don't know, you know, everything has its time. I try not feel pressure and go according to other people's timetable and the fact that everybody is writing. Um, just like if I write an article, I love writing articles. I usually write something within 10, 
20 minutes because I really feel it and it's very important. And I'm getting closer to writing that book or two. But so far, I hadn't really felt it was the time because I also don't like doing things just because everybody's doing them. You know, the one piece of wisdom I like to share, if this is the last conversation, I like to share something that happened to me as a child. It happened to South Africans. In 1993, Chris Harney was killed. And my sister and I were visiting, I think we were in Swaziland. And I remember um, I was young, um, but there were calls received um, saying maybe we should stay there and not come home because there could be like bloodbath and, and stuff like that. So our return from Swaziland was delayed. And I remember coming back and we were in Soweto at um, my half sister's mother. Her name was Lindy Wamiaza, so she passed away recently. And we were in the kitchen talking and they were talking about the death of Andres Pienev. And suddenly they just heard a voice coming from my throat saying, gosh, I wonder if he's asking God for his own fatherland. And the entire kitchen just went dead quiet. And I was not aware that I was talking loudly. And my thought at that time was how we spend our lives in this world fighting, wanting to be separate. The concept of separate development, which was what apartheid was, and how we spend time um, killing each other, the hatred. And I'm always wondering if you die, are you able to request your own fatherland? Fatherland, that's the translation for those that don't speak Afrikaans. I just would like human beings to see themselves as souls in this world, visiting Earth, to experience things, and to strive to experience things that are positive rather than destructive. It really doesn't matter the color of the skin. It really doesn't because we go back to dust and you won't see. Our bones remain. It's only when you test that you know what race we are. We are spending too much time trying to be separate from each other. I have this feeling and I have no proof that we are all connected. If this is the last thing I ever say, it's just like, just enjoy being human. Enjoy the diversity that we are as human beings and love. It is not that difficult. It really isn't. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durumsomi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.